Hey guys, this is Jenny Allen, and you are listening to the Made for This podcast. So I'm so excited today. You are going to love this guest. If you've never heard of him, Pete Scazzaro wrote an incredible book called Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. You need to go get it right now because it has shaped my life. It's shaped a lot of people I love's life. So you want to get this book. It's incredible. And so let's let's jump right in, Pete. I'm so glad to have you here today. Pete's coming to us from New York, and he is a pastor there, but also leads this incredible ministry called Emotional Healthy Discipleship. And this is your passion, Pete. Tell us a little bit about how that came to be. Well, Jenny, it was, it, it, I came in through uh, pain which is probably how lots of truth comes to us. I mean, I was a Christian 17 years, was pastoring a church here in uh, Queens, New York City. Uh, 17, you know, again, 17 years a Christian, had been through the best seminaries, best leadership conferences. And I, we basically, uh, it wasn't working well. I mean, on a number of levels, it was very obvious the discipleship we were doing was shallow. People weren't changing very deeply. And then I myself was exhausted and tired, was not enjoying Jesus. I was working for Jesus, but not enjoying him. And then one of our congregations, we had planted four or five churches, had a split. And I found myself very angry and furious. And again, I didn't have any theology for emotions, what to do with my anger and rage and depression. And then my wife, my marriage wasn't going well. And so here I was, you know, I'm preaching the Bible, I'm teaching scripture, we're doing all night prayer meetings and, you know, went to the Holy Spirit's power and we're doing it all, you know, and the traditional stuff, but it's not, something's missing. And so it was, I, I got me on this journey of, okay, something's really missing in evangelical discipleship. And like, what is it? And this is like 1994 at this point. So it got me going on a journey to look inside, like maybe I got some problems, you know, which which is very obvious, you know, and I just say beneath my own iceberg. And I was kind of, I was kind of like beginning to look at some things and, and inside of my life, my family of origin. And then in that journey, middle of that journey, like two years into it, January 2nd, 1996, my wife comes to me and says, uh, Pete, I'm, I'm quitting the church that you're leading. Uh, I'm going to another church. And I was like, what? And she goes, no, your leadership basically stinks. Uh, you, don't have the, you don't have the courage to confront the people that need to be confronted. And I just don't want to participate in this any longer. And she said, I'm just going to go to another church on Sundays with the kids. We have four girls at that point, small girls. And she goes, if you want to take the kids to church on Sunday, you can, but I'm going to go to this other church. And so that was full, you know, we were in full crisis at that point. And it was in that crucible of pain, um, we went away to a place for like, you know, two, two therapists, Christian therapists and us. And, you know, I was just like, fix my wife, straighten her out, get her back in the front row of church, you know, and follow me and all that stuff. And, you know, Jerry would have none of that. But anyway, in that week we went away, God met us. And that's when I realized I was an emotional infant uh, leading a church and that my discipleship had never addressed large portions of my inner life. And uh, I was embarrassed. I was, I was in shock. And, and that started the whole journey of like emotional health and spiritual maturity can't be separated. And that it's not possible to be spiritually mature while remaining emotionally immature. And I started with myself, you know, and then our marriage. And that's how it all started. That's how I got into it. And, and then honestly, once it was like, a new, I call it a second conversion. It was like, it was, we were, we were born again, again, and we never turned back. I mean, once you cross into that realm, you can never go back to, I'll just call it traditional uh, American shallow discipleship. You just can't go back to it anymore uh, because you've tasted something so rich and good uh, and so we've been doing, 
you know, research and development working on this now for the last, you know, 24 plus years. And it's been a, the best years of my life, Jenny, as a person, as a husband, as a father, as a Christian, as a human being. I mean, it's just been amazing. And uh, well, that's, that's it. That's how I got started. I mean, I love just even the big picture concept <laughs> that you're talking about because I care about this so much is just emotional health. And yet, I think sometimes we do tend to polarize spiritual health and emotional yeah. health. And and it's good to kind of have these two different categories for people. And so let's talk yeah. about a biblical way to view emotions because God talks a lot about them and yeah. and then also talk about some of the ways that we might be handling them unhealthily. Yeah. So, so Jenny, what's interesting is even 25 years ago, people were – they did talk about it because we've had scandals – of leaders happening since I became a Christian over 40 years ago. Yeah. Like this isn't, this right. isn't not new. new. It's not <laughs> yeah. new. And so people were talking about the problem and, and mentioning emotions, but nobody was getting quite at how do you actually – what's the – how do we transform people? You know, how, how do we do real formation in people so so it's actually changed? So that, that to me was the big question as I got into this, like, okay, what does that look like? And uh, so, on, on a on a very simple level, I, I, I'll say this: you know that you can't separate emotional and spiritual maturity. It's 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 they go together. So, for example, uh, when we think about we're made in the image of God, there's different aspects of being a human being. We're we're intellectual beings, we're physical beings, we're social beings, we're spiritual beings, we're emotional beings because we're made in God's image. So, so when we do discipleship. You got to touch all of that, like the whole person. You can't. So, because we're we're whole people, and so, for if a person is unapproachable, proud, defensive, angry, judgmental, do you understand? It doesn't matter how much Bible you know, or how much you pray, or how active you are in church. You are a spiritual infant because you're not a loving, safe, approachable person. And Paul said that's the criteria of maturity. Is you know, First Corinthians thirteen. If you don't have love, you it doesn't matter if you've got this huge ministry. It doesn't matter right. what people think of you and how you look on the outside. You're you're, yeah. you're you're immature. You may not even be a Christian at all. And I think that was the stunning thing about it because I, I think I was just so focused on, you know, again, knowing scripture, building the church, leading people to Christ. But it wasn't about your love or humility or brokenness and vulnerability. Right. So the journey I went on, Jenny, was like, okay, now how do we – what what is this? Because I'm a pastor, I'm not a therapist, and I'm not a spiritual director. I'm a pastor. I was a pastor of a church, and so my question is, I, I want to bring this in discipleship. This is about following Jesus, because if you're unloving, and I, I honestly, people didn't. My own wife did. My own wife didn't feel loved by me. I mean, here I was, I'm preaching about the love of God, but the person I made a vow to for the rest of my life to love was my wife, and she didn't feel it. No, I loved her, but she didn't feel it. So, what am I doing leading a church? When my first neighbor, I'm too busy to actually love her. Right? I, don't, I, don't have to, I never got discipled in loving people. It was just kind of assumed that'll work out. Just follow Jesus. Mm -hmm. And no, it doesn't just work out. Yeah. I mean, I remember my husband and I were in seminary and it was a little bit scary because a lot of guys, you know, were sitting there debating hell and I'm not quite sure they knew people going there. Like I think there was yeah. like this, this intellectual pursuit of God, but there wasn't this, or I mean, it was certainly in some people there were, but you saw that as just the the danger of knowing too much, but not 
living it. Yeah. You know, not living what you know. So, so for me, as we got into this, it was like, okay, what are some aspects of discipling a, you know, that the key to growing into an emotionally mature person, you know, a spiritually mature person in the emotional arena. So it began again, things like, first of all, you need to feel, learn to feel. Much like David, the Psalms, he, he pours out himself before God with abandonment. So, in other words, you I was told that you know feelings are desperately wicked. You know who can trust them? So, like feelings were bad, especially anger, sadness, fear. Like those are like they were considered sinful or at least bad. Or and I said, no, no, all emotions are just they're just emotions, and and they may be more difficult emotions. But so first, it's just learning to feel, allowing yourself to feel before God. That's, that's good. That's gigantic. And it's not that we it follow is. our feelings, we follow Jesus, but he, but what makes us a human being is we feel. When you're dead, you don't feel anymore. What's sad is that we've got all these folks in, in our churches, we're, we're half human because we don't allow ourselves to feel sadness or anger or fear. We don't, we don't acknowledge it. And so we, so yet let's just take sadness. We have a book in the Bible called Lamentations, you know, a whole book. We got two thirds of the Psalms are laments of sadness. You've got Jesus, man of sorrows. You, you've got Jeremiah, you know, weeping prophet. And yet I didn't, I didn't do sadness. I, I, I just, everything's good. Let's go on. You know, all things work together for good of those who love God. I just, it was, it's a bad theology. I mean, the degree to which you feel your own sadnesses, as Henry Nouwen once said, is the degree to which you're a compassionate person. So that's, that's, you know, feeling your feelings is one, just even having a theology that it's okay. And I do it before God. I actually want to want to pause you right there yeah, because yeah. my husband this is his story and it was nearly the death of us. I mean this this was probably one of the most difficult parts of our marriage in the first several years. And I just I want to speak to those women that are listening because a lot of you are women and I want to encourage you to send this to your husband <laughs> because this is exactly what permission Zach needed. He needed a theology of emotions. Yep. He needed to understand that it was okay to feel things. And I think that is, I don't know that that's common with women, but I absolutely think it's common with men. Absolutely. Because, and again, I, I think I needed permission. I think you said it, it really well. So how could I love my wife when I, I didn't do feelings? I was like, I, I prided myself on being like this stable, solid guy. But do you realize that that how could, I get close to Jerry and be intimate with her when, and let her know me when I didn't even know myself. Do you understand? Like, like if I'm not feeling, I'm not even, I'm half alive. I'm, I'm, so, so it just took our marriage to a whole nother place, just that first thing. But then there was a second thing we, we got into, which was how our family of origin impacted who we are today. And we began to do things called genograms and help people look at how their past history, uh, the sinful parts of their past history in particular, impacted our present. So for example, I came, I had, I had abuse in my background, physically, emotionally, quite severe. And so I had just shut down emotionally as a kid. I, I just, I mean, I was just trying to survive beatings, you know, as a, but like I became a Christian at 19. And so yeah, I'm a Christian, but I'm not, I don't do feelings. I'm, I had shut down when I was like seven or six. And so those muscles were so weak, but I had to go back and we would say this, you have to go back to go forward. You've got to look at your family of origin. And so we began to create tools to help people look at their past um, and how it's impacted their present because we're in the new family of Jesus. And so discipleship is learning to live and do life in the new family of Jesus. So let's say, for example, you don't do sadness. I know, but 
maybe that you suppressed it or deny it or medicate yourself or go shopping or get high or whatever, alcohol, food, whatever it might be, to suppress it. Right. But no, and you're doing family, sadness, just, just looking different. <laughs> right. but no, but in the new family of Jesus, we don't do that. We actually, right. you know, there's a biblical process. We feel it before the Lord like David. We wait on the Lord with it and we let him birth something new out of it. We listen to God's voice in that. And like, okay, that's a discipleship issue. You know, mm. had your family of origin do success. Well, success is making a lot of money uh, or becoming a professional or getting married and having children. I know, but what's success in the new family of Jesus? Well, success in the new family of Jesus is becoming the person God called you to become and doing what God called you to do, period. So where everything now is, I'm, gonna, I'm leaving the sinful parts of my family of origin and culture, and I'm learning to do life in the new family of Jesus. That, that relates to everything, Jenny, from how I do marriage how I do affection, how I do sex, how I do anger, how I do conflict. I mean, very few of us learn to do conflict well in our families growing up, uh, right? We either ran away from it uh, or, you know, we kind of like take with the blame and uh, we become doormats or maybe we yell and scream or hit, you know, but I know the new family of Jesus, we don't do dirty fighting. We call that dirty fighting. We teach clean fighting. How do you have a clean fight? How do you negotiate differences? But these became discipleship issues that they're as important as, you know, learning the gospel. There is, they're, they're love, learning to be a loving person is, for Jesus, inseparable from loving God. And I somehow got those separated. I don't know how it happened over time in my Christian life. It had all, kind, it had all kinds of negative consequences. I create and build a lot of things, but there is nothing I build that I feel more passionate about and that I believe in more than my Bible studies. And the reason why is because it puts women together around scripture. And guys, that's when lives change is in small rooms around the word of God. So grab your people. And all of this season is based on a Bible study I wrote years ago that is still so relevant and I believe can help set you free, not because of my words, but because it is based on God's word. It is called Stuck, and you can go to StuckBibleStudy.com. And with the kit, you'll get videos, you'll get conversation cards, you'll get a leader's guide, everything you need to bring a few friends together around this topic and the Word of God. So the podcast is one thing. I hope you and a lot of friends will listen, but I hope that it will only lead you to want more. And that more is getting around the Word of God together and seeing what God does and how He shifts us when we are brave enough to be honest and to bring those thoughts and those feelings to scripture. Let's talk about how people can make a shift. Okay. And I want to start with how can we love people better around us as they're processing and handling their emotions? Because a lot of people listening to this, honestly, they're doing the work, Pete. Like we've been talking about all these emotions for yeah. weeks now. They're leaning and, do, do, and doing the work, but maybe they're their spouse isn't or their yeah. good friends or their parents aren't. So what does that look like to help other people process their emotions? Yeah. I, I, you know, again, I, I think we got to define, you can only change yourself, right? I mean, I, you know, the great, I don't know if you know the great Hasidic tale and I can't quote it exactly, but this Hasidic rabbi said, you know, centuries ago, you know, I first set out to change my, the world that didn't work. And then I started trying to change my country. That didn't work. And I tried to change my state and my town and even my family, but none of that worked. And then I realized, oh, I better just change myself. And if I started with myself, maybe I could have changed my family and the town and the country and the world. And I think there's a very important truth that you can't change your spouse or 
it's really not about your spouse or your or your family first or your church first or everyone around you. It's really first about you because if you change, it will change the system around you. So I would say on the journey, I think our work has been how do we help people on this journey? So it's more than just feeling your feelings. I mean, that's a that's a important first step. Uh, I would include a number of other things that are really critical in your own journey um, to mature emotionally. And uh, that would include things like, so we began to develop skills uh, on how do you actually love people. And we spent actually decades working on it. And uh, it all started, I actually started in a therapist's office. My wife and I were married at that point, seven, eight years. And like you, we'd had very hard first seven, eight years because we were just doing our family of origin, right? We didn't know how to to be married and, you know, do, do, we, we didn't know how to speak clearly and respectfully and honestly and how to listen and how to do conflict. We just, we just were very, we were very unaware. And uh, I'll never forget this therapist had us listen to each other and kind of was just, it was the first time we, in eight years of marriage that we actually like listened to each other. And we were like, oh, that, oh, like we, we connected. Uh, we actually kind of fell in love all over again. And it got us on a journey of, how do we create skills to, that people can apply the theology they know to be true? And so it got us on this journey of developing some skills, like how do I speak clearly, respectfully, and honestly, and in a timely fashion? How do I listen like Jesus and see the beauty of people and actually uh, enter their world? How do I go back to my family of origin and look at how it's impacting me? Right now, I have four daughters who are in their 20s. Two are married in their early 30s. And so I'm learning to be a, a father of adult children who have their own families. And so I'm not their parent the way I was when they were 13. Uh, we're equals in a sense. We're peers. And someday they'll be my parent. Right? They'll be taking care of me when I get older. First, I, was, I had power over them. Now we're, kind of, now we're equal and I've got to let go. And now I've got to learn to, to let them take care of me as I get really older too. And so there's all these discipleship issues. But we do it the way our families did it generally in everything, whether the way we handle money or the way we do sex. And so my wife and I got on this journey of developing some skills. Like, how do you do a genogram of your family of origin? How do you look at that stuff and how it's impacting me? How do I um, do conflict in a clean way with someone? Uh, how do I get at my values without blaming people? How do I not overfunction and do for people what they can and should do for themselves? So these are all really important themes that people got to kind of go deeper into. It's a very difficult, it's, it's painful. I mean, I, this is scary stuff uh, for many folks because they're like, oh my gosh, if I open this door, who knows what's going to come out? That was my fear. If I let myself feel and like look at my inside, my interior life, like it's a mess in there. And I was afraid that I would die. I really was. I said, oh, I may go into a hole and never come out. But I found out that in that hole was Jesus waiting for me. <laughs> and that it was like my wife quitting the church was the best thing that ever happened to me. It was the most loving thing she could ever have done. And it saved my life, saved my life and our marriage and our kids and the church and everything that's happened around the world through us. It would, if my wife didn't have the courage to say no more, I'm not going to participate in your pathology. And she did it in a very loving way. She wasn't like leaving me or the marriage, but she was you know, I had enough self-integrity to say, no, I'm not going to do this anymore and make believe and pretend mm. everything is fine. We stopped lying, Jenny. That was big. And we, so, we, that was big. So back to the, that question then, 
your wife did some things that brought brought everything to the surface. Like what, you know, we don't want to be enablers. So yes, we work on ourselves, but is there a point to kind of say, hey, let's get some help? Or what does that look like for a wife that's listening that feels like your wife did, which is a little bit helpless and I don't yes. know how to get your attention? You're never helpless. You're, just, you're not helpless. And so, no, I, I think you need to find your integrity. And it's really not about your husband first. It's about you and how you're responding. And so, yeah, for Jerry, she was mature enough to say to me, I'm not going to do this anymore. And she was trying to get my attention. I wasn't listening. She says, suggested, you know, let's get to, go to therapy. I would go to the therapist's office. We went a couple of times. I said, uh, basically for me, it was like, I wasn't interested. I was like, you know, she, he gave us a book to read. I gave it to her. I was your classic guy who was closed. But she had my full attention when she said, I'm not going to the church anymore. Like she finally called it out. And she wasn't going to pretend that everything was fine because it wasn't fine. And she wasn't going to pretend that we were happy pastor Christian marriage anymore either. I had to go to the elders and tell them. It was very embarrassing. But I think it was a very loving thing to do. I mean, would it be more loving for her to pretend that everything is... It was very... It took tremendous courage. That's why Jerry, I say her integrity saved our marriage. There was a number of things, and actually it's in her book, The Emotionally Healthy Woman, which is worth everyone reading. It's her story. But really, it was eight things that she quit. I'll try to, I don't know if I'm all my heart. And he tried to do eight chapters of the book. The first is she quit being afraid of what other people think. That was number one. Because she, she didn't want to rock the boat. But she got to a place of her integrity where she no longer was afraid of what people would think. Then secondly, she quit lying and making believe something was true that wasn't true. Third, she quit uh, blaming. She took responsibility for her life and said, you know, I'm, I'm not going to blame Pete for me being so unhappy. I'm going to take responsibility and I'm going to make some changes. Uh, she quit over-functioning. She quit doing for me what I could and should do for myself. And, you know, we had very traditional gender roles at the time. And she was like, I, I, I don't, I don't want to do this. I don't want to cook five day, old every day and you know, laundry. And I'm Italian-American, so you're kind of a classic macho guy, you know? And, and, uh, and she, even though I, even though I believe in women and leadership and all that, but she just said, I, I I'm, I'm not going to overfunction for you any longer. She quit living somebody else's life. She said, I'm going to live my life. Because really, what's marriage? Marriage is supposed to be two people flourishing, each in your respective callings in God. You're actually like being together actually causes you each to blossom, not one of you to be swallowed up and lost. We had to learn to do power in our marriage that there was actually room for two people. So, and we quit faulty thinking. So it's a great, I would encourage you to pick up the emotional healthy woman, but my wife is a phenomenal person because she's got, she's got, she has integrity. And to this day, I mean, if you, if I ever drop out and you say, what happened to Scazzaro? Like what happened to Pete Scazzaro? You'll know that my wife either quit again or just said, you know, I, I basically wasn't living what I'm preaching because she wouldn't tolerate it. And I appreciate that. And I'm not going to tolerate it either. I mean, I think we both have our integrity, but I learned from Jerry how to quit living somebody else's life, how to be, not be afraid of what other people think, how to stop blaming. And so I had to learn from her. And I think some of you ladies are going to be further ahead than your husbands. And that's okay. I mean, that's what God's doing. And I think you can't push them, but you can also say, you could also not participate in something that's just not helpful. You're not, you're not serving, doing them any favors by making believe that what is false is true or that lies are truth. You're not, you're not, that, that's not serving them. Jerry loved me well by saying no more, I quit. That was loving. She got, God got my attention, believe me. 
through her. She sounds really smart and feisty. <laughs> Because she, what she didn't feisty. say, she didn't say, "I'm going to quit our marriage." She just said, no, she "I'm not going to go to the church." I don't, I don't. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. So she, it's like, I'm know, not growing here. This isn't healthy for me. Yes, that's right. And wow. uh, yeah, and, and so again, I think she, I call it integrity. It's integrity. Wow. And, and that to that's me, is what a, that's what emotionally healthy discipleship is. It's about I'm the same person on the outside. Yeah. That I am on the inside. It's good. You know how we go in our church? We go, how are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. 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 Everyone's good. All right. And we wonder why people have to go to a 12-step meeting to get, right. raw, to get raw. Instead of the church. Yes, yeah. exactly right. And so, mm. yeah, ladies, you need to lead the way. Listen, Mary Magdalene was the first apostle, all right? I mean, she's the one. Uh, it was the women at the cross. They were there. It was Mary Magdalene who, who was there. And they brought it to the, to the men. So I, I think you, you got to get free. I mean, in terms of you, you've got anointings. You've got a calling. You've got... You know, you're, you're a human being, and and you're not a, a slave. You're not a you're you're a human being made in the image of God, and God's giving you insight and revelation, and you need to follow it in a loving way, humble way, broken way, not a triggered way or defensive or blaming or angry. So your anger, you got to work through that yourself. You know, that's 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 your inner work before you go and launch out. And Jerry did a lot of work before she said, "I quit." And, uh, well, and one thing I did with Zach when I approached him, because a lot of people will say, how did you get your husband to go to counseling with you? And he didn't want to go at first. And he would tell this story. He didn't want to go at first, but I said, you know what? Either way, I'm going to go. Like I need this and I'm not healthy and I've got to prioritize this. And if I had cancer, I would pay for the medicine. You would pay for the medicine. And right now I'm emotionally cancerous and I need to go work through this. That's right. So so that's right. He doesn't want to go to counseling. Good. You go. And you work through it. What's, how are you going to function in this marriage if he's not responsive? And then how do you work that out? But then that's complicated. It's got to be thought through and to do it in a loving way. But you're, you don't flippantly say, well, I'm just going to submit to him as to the Lord. I mean, that's cow- that to me is like a cop out. Mm, you, know, that's like, oh, you don't want to do your inner work of being a responsible adult in the marriage. I, I don't care what your theology is on headship and what that means to you. But the primary, you're, you're, you're one flesh. You're one flesh before God. That's the that's the that's Genesis, and your oneness, His oneness, your oneness. I mean, it, it's you can't separate the two once you're in in marriage. But to not to feel powerless or to act powerless is not emotionally mature. It's not it's not biblical. Uh, I'm not saying you don't suffer and there's not pain. There's pain in every marriage and relationship, but. You need to own your power, God-given power as an image bearer, and bring that to your spouse. You're not doing him any favors by being a doormat. So now I want you to talk about what – because right now, here's what everybody's thinking that's listening, men and women, is am I emotionally healthy? <laughs> so why don't you tell everybody just a few marks of what emotional health would look like? Yeah. So let me let me encourage you. There, I, I think there, there's an assessment we created a number of years ago. It's am I an emotional infant, child, adolescent, or adult? And it's got you know, seven marks of that. And just go to our website, emotionallyhealthy.org slash mature, and just take it. It's free. And I think that would be a great start. So here's some questions that are asked. Okay. So I'll, I'll just pull it out right here in my... So for example, questions you would ask. Uh, I am willing to explore previously unknown or unacceptable parts of myself, allowing Christ to transform me. I'm able to experience anger in a way that leads to growth in others and myself. I resolve conflict in a clear, direct, and respectful way, not what I might have learned growing up in my family. I'm able to speak freely about my weaknesses, failures, and mistakes. Others would easily describe me 
as approachable, gentle, open, and transparent. I've never been accused of trying to do it all or biting off more than I could chew. I openly limit my losses and disappointments. I regularly enter into other people's world and feelings. I spend sufficient time alone with God to sustain my work for God. People close to me would describe me as a responsive listener. It's a scale of, of one to four. So we have some categories. One, the first one is look beneath the surface. The second is break the power of the past. The set, third is living in brokenness and vulnerability. The fourth is receiving the gift of limits. The fifth is embracing grief and loss. Uh, the sixth is uh, loving well, seeing and hearing people as made in God's image. And the seventh is slowing down to live with integrity. And those are kind of our general categories and the, the kind of questions get at that underneath it. So I, I, those would be our probably our primary qualities that to unpack, how do I get at that emotional component of my spiritual maturity and relationship with Jesus? It's a lot. It, it's a life work. I mean, I, I mean, I'm always in it and growing. Because again, you, gotta get, you can't separate emotional maturity and spiritual maturity. That The Bible holds them together. And evangelicalism, for, for various reasons, we just don't. And if you look at Jesus, like if you look at his conflict with the Pharisees and Sadducees, it was always about they weren't merciful, kind, loving people. They, they knew the Bible and they prayed and tithed, but they were arrogant, cold, and judgmental. And uh, Jesus just said, you can't separate loving God and loving people. Uh, and they had a very hard time with that. I think we're in a similar situation today. We've got lots of religious folks, and I was one of them. I'm, you know, I'm counting myself, but we, we, we segment, we compartmentalize spirituality and like loving people and being approachable and soft. And again, if Paul says, you don't have love, you, you've got nothing. Uh, we're going nowhere. So I think that's probably one of your great gifts of if, right, that you're offering these women is freedom and uh, hopefully grabbing hold of their power to, to serve Jesus in a, in a humble, sacrificial way like, like yeah. Christ. Hmm. Would you close in prayer, Pete? Sure. So thank you very much and bless you all on if. So absolutely. So Lord, thank you so much for uh, having raised up a ministry like If uh, in the world. And uh, I pray for all those listening to my voice through this podcast. And good Lord, may your good hand rest upon them. And Lord, may you grant listeners uh, freedom and power and courage to, to follow your voice and not give in to fear, but to follow you wherever you might lead them. And May the freedom uh, that these listeners experience, may then it ripple out to their friends, family, spouses, uh, communities, and churches. And so I bless you all in the name of Jesus. We want to communicate with you and let you know the things that are happening with the podcast and ask you some questions as well. So text Jenny Allen, J-E-N-N-I-E-A-L-L-E-N to 31996. That's Jenny Allen, one word, to 31996. And we will add you to our text stream and we'll send you all kinds of fun stuff, free stuff, communication, and questions. We want you to be a part of the conversation.